Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey, what's up? This is Jay from Push Black. It's time for a God talk. Hang with me for a second. So here's what we know. The Nile Valley is the true cradle of civilization. Our ancestors, black Africans, built the first great kingdoms. Now, of course, their gods and their spiritual leaders were black. The statues, the iconography, the hieroglyphs, everything about this culture was drawn from a black society. Europeans saw all of this when they occupied North Africa and the Levant. It was crystal clear. So how in the hell did we wind up with the blue-eyed white god and a crew of angels that looks like a Swedish hockey team? In today's Black History Year, we're going to shed some much-needed light on this. Dr. Anthony Browder is an author, cultural historian, and educational consultant who has spent the last 30 years researching ancient Egyptian history, science, philosophy, and culture. He's the first Black American to fund and coordinate an Egyptian archaeological dig and has conducted 23 archaeological missions to Egypt since 2009. Dr. Browder's three decades of study have led him to the conclusion that ancient Africans were the architects of civilization and developed what has become the scientific, religious, and philosophical backbone of mankind. He is exactly the person we need to talk about the African roots of our global religions and spirituality. My name is Tony Browder. I am a historian, author, researcher, I have spent uh, 40 years traveling to, to Egypt. I've been conducting annual study tours to Egypt since 1987 and have been conducting excavations on three 25th dynasty tombs in Egypt for the past 12 years. I have devoted myself to researching and documenting the positive portrayal of the worldwide African experience and supplementing the miseducation that many people of African ancestry have been subjected to throughout our formal educational process and then replacing that with an accurate presentation of who we were as a people, who we are now as a conscious people, and who we can become through the application of this historical and cultural knowledge. What does Black liberation look like to you, and how does your work help advance that cause? Well, liberation begins in the mind. As Dr. Carter G. Woodson informed us in his landmark publication, The Miseducation of the Negro, when you control a person's thinking, you don't have to worry about their actions. And people of African ancestry throughout the world have been controlled through the process of us being separated 
from our history and culture and then given a false narrative, false identity, and our memories of the past have been erased. So we've been socialized to believe that Africans have made no contributions to history, culture, civilization, and that for us to be Americans is the best thing that has ever happened to us. That information is deficient. It does not tell the true story of who we are. So once I became aware that I had been miseducated, and that was in 1977, three years after I graduated from college, three years after I thought I was ready for the world, I realized how ill-prepared I was. And then since 1977, I've been actively engaged in the process of re-educating myself. And that is focusing my attention on acquiring what I now refer to as forbidden knowledge, information, historical, cultural, spiritual information, which has intentionally been withheld from us in order to keep us comfortable living at a dysfunctional level. So my career has been dedicated to doing firsthand research, primary research, telling the story of who African people were before our enslavement so that we can have greater options as to how we choose to move through life. So Black liberation is about knowing who you are and then applying that knowledge to determine who you are going to be in the future. And we have no time to waste. Our backs are against the wall as a people. We currently are facing more challenges than at any point in my lifetime. And those challenges require profound changes on our part. And those changes begin first in our minds with our thoughts. And then thought precedes speech with correct thoughts. We now know how to speak correctly. And once we master the art of speaking, we then can bring things into manifestation, which will allow us to create our own realities. Let's start with thoughts. You were taught certain things about religion and spirituality. Then you started having thoughts that made you ask questions about what you were being taught. Can you describe what that experience was like for you? Surely. Like most people of African ancestry, most Africans living in America, we have been socialized to take on the customs and religious traditions of our former enslavers. Therefore, the majority of African-Americans are Christians. I grew up in a Christian household and my grandmother was the personification of God. She was the model Christian. She prayed multiple times a day. I went to church with her. She taught me the Bible. And then as I got older, I began to ask questions about the Bible. Why isn't there anybody in the Bible who looks like me? Well, baby, that's not important. That's not important. And, and it wasn't until after I left Chicago, where I was born, and came to Washington, D.C., when uh, I attended Howard University, that I was exposed to people of African ancestry from across the United States and across the world. And I was exposed to different ideas and different philosophies. And once my cultural palette began to expand, I cultivated a broader worldview which arm me with the tools to now question the things that I've been taught, but question them in, in a manner that I would not elicit a fearful response so, so that I can learn. And I recall one summer after college coming home and speaking to my grandmother and asking her, Mama, what would you do if you died and found out that there was no heaven? And she gave me this look. And then she said, well, no, there just has to be. There just has to be. And I realized then that my grandmother, who I love dearly, was not prepared to engage in the level of thought my person had evolved to. And that I love my grandmother enough to respect her and to respect her beliefs. That's what she needed to get by with raising seven children, to get by with a husband who was verbally abusive and making a way in racist Chicago in the 19th 
40s, 50s, and 60s. And so I respected my grandmother enough to not interfere with her belief system. But when I began to dig deep into the origins of religion, specifically the origins of Christianity, I found a truth that had been hidden from me. And since I've been traveling to the Nile, since I've been traveling to Egypt for 40 years, I have a profound understanding of the ancient African origins, ancient Nile Valley origins of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. That is irrefutable. And and so I accept the fact that everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe, but no one has the right to impose their beliefs on anyone else. So I will comfortably allow others to share in a public discourse about their relationship with God, which is right. But whenever anyone tells me that their way is the only way, they've opened the door for me to come in and set them straight. And I only talk about what I know. I don't talk about what I believe. I don't talk about what I think. I talk about what I know. And I always make it a point to present evidence to back up my facts. I learned early in my career that I should never say anything in public that I can't validate with at least four sources. And so I come prepared. I do my research. Many people who say that they are Christians have very little understanding of that religion, Christianity, how that religion came into existence, how the Bible was crafted. And so they have been socialized to believe in a system that was designed specifically to separate them from the creator. And when people are open and willing to have an honest discussion about what all of this means, then true learning can take place. I love the idea of you approaching everything with facts and sources and laying out information if someone opens the door. So let's open up that door. Based on the work that you've been doing, what are the roots of the major spiritual systems that are practiced today? Specifically, what are the African roots of those? Sure. Well, let me give you context so that we can frame this based on the archaeological evidence, the physical evidence that we have at our disposal. We now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Homo sapiens sapiens, modern man lived in Africa and Africa alone for over 250,000 years. That is a fact. The first human beings on the planet lived in the Nile River Valley. We also know for a fact that these Africans in East Africa began to walk east out of Africa into Asia and began populating Asia about 60,000 years ago. We also know, based on the archaeological evidence, that another group of these same Africans began walking west into Western Asia, the landmass that we now call Europe, and began populating Europe about 40,000 years ago. So based on that knowledge, we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the first people in Asia were Africans. The first people in Europe were Africans. We also know, based on the genetic research that was done, that the Africans in Europe did not lose their, their melanin until seven to 8,000 years ago. So that's when Africans became the people that we now classify as Europeans. And so the reality is Europeans have only been on the planet for approximately seven to 8,000 years. And Africans have been on this planet at least 250,000 years. So we have a 
242,000 year head start on them. We were the first people to read, the first people to write, the first people to develop culture and civilization. And all of this is documented in the Nile Valley. We were the first people to conceive of a God concept. God is a concept. And so the oldest means of people identifying with a creator is African people. And so we find in the Nile Valley, the oldest story of Genesis, the oldest story of the creation of the world is inscribed in the tomb of a king by the name of Unas. That is the oldest document of Genesis. It precedes the Abrahamic story by at least 300 years. The oldest documents to talk about the soul, the process for the salvation of the soul, and more specifically, where the souls of the deceased go to be reborn, those documents can also be found in the tomb of, uh, of Unas, a fifth dynasty king in ancient Egypt. So that we know. And, and so if we also look to the Nile Valley, we can find the blueprint, if you will, or the blackprint, as I like to call it, for Christianity. The fundamental mythology of Kemet, Kemet is the original name for the country that the Europeans or Greeks renamed Egypt. So the foundational mythology of Kemet is rooted in the story of Asar, Aset, and Heru. Asar was the mythological figure who unified the two lands of Kemet, introduced agriculture and writing and religious or spiritual concepts to his people. He married a, a sister uh, by the name of Aset, and then Asar went to travel to other parts of the continent to share his knowledge with uh, brothers and sisters to lift them up out of darkness. And in his absence, he left his wife to run their nation. According to the story, and this is a story that is at least 6,000 years old, Asar's brother, Set, was envious because he felt that he should have been left in charge to run the country. Set murdered Asar and dismembered his body, scattered them throughout the land. Aset, the wife of Asar, went searching for the missing parts of Asar's body. And according to one version of the story, she found 13 of the 14 parts of Asar's body over a period of 70 days, she literally remembered her husband, found each body part, laid the 13 body parts out on the table, wrapped them in bandages, and then prepared her husband for burial. So it took her 70 days to complete this process. So for the next 4,000 years, 70 days became the time frame for the process of mummification. Well, before Set buried her husband, she grieved as any wife or widow would grieve because Again, according to the story, Aset was still a virgin. She and her husband had never consummated their marriage. And so before Aset buried her husband, the spirit of Asar came to Aset and impregnated his virgin wife. Now, I can take you to the oldest temple in Egypt, the temple of Abydos, where this story is written in metanature, written in stone and carved. There's an image of this process carved in stone. So I can document everything that I'm telling you. Nine months after Aset was impregnated by the spirit of her deceased husband, Asar, Aset, the virgin, gave birth to her son, Heru. And Heru was born on the same birth date as his father, that is, December the 25th. Heru was born to avenge the murder of his father, and his mission was to reclaim his father's throne and his father's kingdom. So I can take you to the temple of Edfu, which is dedicated to Heru. It is a temple which details the battle of Heru against his uncle Set, the murderer of his father. Heru defeats Set, 
And then he is magically transformed into a falcon, flies into heaven, meets his father, tells his father of his good news. His father blesses him. And then Heru returns to Kemet and reclaims the throne of his father. And at the moment Heru reclaimed his father's throne, then his father Asar was resurrected from the dead and took his place on the throne of judgment. So in the story of Kemetic spirituality, spiritual traditions, every person who dies has to stand before Asar on judgment day. And it is Asar who makes the determination as to whether or not the soul of that person goes to heaven or hell. These are African concepts that were conceived and put in practice at least 300 years before the birth of Abraham. The story of Asar, Aset, and Heru is at least 6,000 years older than the story of the birth of Jesus the Christ. So once you begin to delve into African history as viewed through an African lens, we can find the roots of religion and many of the sciences that Europeans and others have claimed as their birthright. Just to be clear for folks who may not be up on their Bible, that was exactly the story that's laid out as far as the Immaculate Conception, Rebirth, and all the other elements in there. To me, that doesn't seem like a coincidence, but you still have folks who will say that that's a coincidence. Can you take us through the history of how that story and other stories that are relevant to this, how those were taken and reframed? I have come to understand, based on my 69 years of life, that there is no such thing as chance, coincidence, or accident in the universe ruled by law and divine order. Everything happens for a reason. And when you begin to understand the order of the universe and the reasoning behind things, it helps you gain a clearer understanding of where you are, how you got where you are, and the best way to get to where you want to go. So when we look at the history of Kemet, in order for Europeans to justify the enslavement of African people, they had to erase our memories. African people in the 15th century were deemed by the Pope as not having a soul. So as a result of us not having a soul, then these good Christian discoverers and priests and popes could justify the wholesale theft, sale, and enslavement of over 50 million human beings. That is the reality that has shaped the world of African people. That is the reality that has shaped the world of indigenous people here in America, the so-called Indians. And so we have to acknowledge that. When you understand the process by which our world was literally turned upside down, you see the need to control the memory or the history of the past. So Egypt, or Kemet is the oldest documented civilization known to mankind. Whoever controls the knowledge of the Nile Valley stands at the head of the human family. So Europeans were obsessed with coming into Egypt and mastering that knowledge and using it for themselves. An excellent case in point was 1798 when Napoleon Bonaparte brought troops into Egypt to conquer Egypt, but he also brought 70 scientists engineers and artists to document everything that he knew he would find in Egypt. And as a result of the three years that they spent in Egypt, that set up the process for Egyptology. That made it possible for the French scholar uh, Champollion to decipher hieroglyphics in 1822. But the reason why hieroglyphics had gone undeciphered for 1300 years was because of the action of two Christian Roman emperors who saw in Egypt the origins of the Christ of the Christ story 
And so Theodosius ordered the closing of all of the temples in ancient Egypt in order to erase the competition for the new religion of Christianity. The ability to read or write a medunetur, the writing form which the Greeks renamed hieroglyphics, was lost until 1822 when Champollion deciphered medunetur. So upon the deciphering of medunetur or hieroglyphics, Europeans were now able to come into Egypt and read the inscriptions on the walls for the first time. And once they began translating some of these inscriptions, they saw the predecessor to Christianity inscribed on the walls. And so they had to do more to cover up this information. And that's essentially what we're dealing with, a, a cover-up in order to maintain the balance of this world in which we live. We have to be separated from the truth. And I understand very clearly the power of that or the value of keeping people mentally enslaved, spiritually enslaved, and conceptually enslaved by controlling their concept of God and teaching them that God looks like a white man with a beard and blue eyes. So if, if that becomes your frame of reference for the creator of earth, everything on the earth and the universe, then when we look at our former oppressor, the white man, we are looking at the son of God. So these people were, were very insidious in their actions. And once you understand the steps that they have taken in order to distort our perception of reality, the only thing that any reasonable person could do would be to spend the rest of their lives freeing their minds so that we can come to understand the concepts of the creator as viewed through the eyes of the first people to conceive of a divine relationship between human beings and divinity. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. So they stole what we made, what we created, and then they chopped it up and gave it back to us in a distilled format. Is there any way that there is still value in the practice of the current form that most of us in our community practice? Or is going directly to the source the best path forward? Both are feasible. Both are advisable. I say that because everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe. And your relationship with God is your personal relationship with God. We are human beings who contain within us a spark of divinity. We are not God, but we have the capacity to create. So when we look at what human beings have created, we find that everything that exists now on the planet has come through the minds of men and women. And if we truly understand the creative process, then we are instruments through which the creator, divinity, and the ancestors work through in order to create peace and harmony within the world in which we live. That is the process. That is how the process was first understood and utilized by our ancestors on the African continent for thousands of years before our worlds were turned upside down. So I say to my friends, my colleagues who are Christians, then yes, if you believe in the Bible, then that should be reflected in how you relate to other people, specifically those who don't believe in the same religious system. 
To, to honor your brother as yourself is important. To be truthful is important. So these are values that transcend Christianity, that transcend Judaism or is Islam. These are values that affirm our humanity. And so if that helps you become a better person, then do those things. But if you're interested in expanding your understanding of what it means to have a empowering relationship with the creator, then there are specific paths that you can follow to expand that relationship. And that's what a deep dive into African spirituality will reveal to any person who is sincere about their efforts to cultivate a meaningful relationship with themselves, their creator, and their ancestors. So what are the best ways to access this information? If someone's trying to form a deeper understanding and develop their faith in a broader sense, it seems that the study of history is going to be different than someone who's trying to get a more spiritual understanding or develop themselves spiritually. How would you suggest folks approach this? Well, history is critical. We have to understand the history of the evolution of spiritual traditions. These spiritual traditions de-evolved into religions. Specifically, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are based on the concept of the original sin. And as a result of the sin that Adam and Eve committed, every human being is cursed, such that the Son of God had to come into earth and die to redeem the sins of human beings. And so the only salvation, as it is taught through Christianity, is that you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in order to get into heaven. Now, I've done readings on comparative religions. And what I can tell you in 90% of the religions of cultures around the world, they do not have a concept of the fall of man of the original sin that only exists within the Abrahamic faith. In every other culture, there is a loving and consistent relationship between the creator and the human beings who came from the creator. So there is no separation. So let me give you a good example that will illustrate this. In Kemet, there is a, a scene that every soul has to go through on the day of judgment. The soul of each deceased person has to go into the hall of Ma'at. Ma'at is the comedic personality. Ma'at is the first image in the world of a human being with wings, i.e. what we refer to as an angel. That concept, that Christian concept, was derived from the images of Ma'at, who represents the principles of truth, justice, righteousness, balance, harmony, order, and reciprocity. It is when the soul comes into the hall of Ma'at on the day of judgment that their heart, which was considered in ancient Kemet to be the seat of the soul, is weighed opposite the feather of Ma'at, which represents the principles associated with her on the scale of Ma'at. And so this is so critically important to, to anyone who has a religious belief. So while the soul is weighed opposite the feather of Ma'at. The soul of this deceased person has to declare their innocence by reciting the 42 declarations of innocence, the 42 admonitions of Ma'at. Some of those declarations are, I have not stolen, I have not defrauded offerings, I have not committed murder, I have not committed adultery, I have not polluted myself, I have not polluted the land, I have not spoken ill against the natural, 42 of these declarations of innocence. And so while they are making this declaration, their heart has to balance out on the scale opposite the feather of my eye. 
And so if they are telling the truth, their heart will be as light as a feather. And that's where that concept comes from, as being light of, as a feather. And so the 42 admonitions of Ma'at were distilled by the members of the Jewish faith into the Ten Commandments, right? So uh, as I was, was reciting these some of these 42 declarations, they sounded very much like the Ten Commandments. Well, what people don't realize is that when Moses gave his followers the Ten Commandments, he left 32 behind. And also there's a profound difference between a declaration of innocence and a commandment. A declaration of innocence means that you know that you should not be doing these things. You should not steal. You know that you should not steal. And so you say, I have not stolen. You know that you should not commit murder or adultery. You know that you should not speak ill against God because that was part of your socialization process from the time you were in the womb until the time you were buried. So for people who lacked that socialization, they had to be commanded what not to do. They had to be told, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not, which means that their socialization process was devoid of a means by which they could affirm their relationship with God Almighty. So these are simple concepts, but they are profound in helping a person begin to realize who you are as a person of African ancestry and what your ancestors have left you, the profound legacy that they've left you in order to find yourself. And then once you've found yourself and are comfortable with who you are as a person of African ancestry, you then can cultivate the means to tap into your ancestral lineage and those spirits or those creators that exists in order to help you manifest your full power and glory here on planet Earth. Are there cultural reasons for the ways that these messages have shifted? You mentioned the difference between commandments and declaration. You also highlighted the issue of original sin. Do you have any idea how those came to be transformed? Well, it goes back to what I referenced at the top of this conversation. If we accept the fact that 20,000, 250,000 years ago, Africans were the only people on the planet and that Africans began migrating into Asia, migrating into Europe, and over a period of several thousand years, especiated to become the people now classified as Caucasians. Well, in a tropical environment in Africa, where it's basically spring, 12 months out of the year, you don't have to fight for survival. Food grows readily on the trees. You're not dealing with harsh elements. And so once your basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter are taken care of, you now can spend your time cultivating your mind. You can begin to think about what exists beyond earth. What is in the sky? What is this force that makes the grass grow, makes the rain fall from the sky, makes the, makes the rivers flow? And it's from these insights that human beings began to cultivate this God concept. And they saw themselves, specifically in the Nile Valley, they saw themselves as living in heaven on earth. And they were provided with all of the knowledge in order to maintain this harmony within the Nile River Valley. Contrast that to those Africans who left Africa and went into Europe and got caught in the Ice Age. So if you can imagine being trapped behind a wall of ice that is 100 miles high and 1,000 miles long, and you now are faced with winter. You're faced with harsh climactic conditions. You no longer see the environment. You no longer see the creator as someone who is 
assisting you to get through life. You see the creator as something that you must compete with, something that you must overcome. And so it is under these harsh conditions that the mentality of, of man and man's relationship with the creator or God shifted. So when you have someone who sees life as being harsh, then obviously life is controlled by an unseen force, a spiritual force, a God force, then God must have some antagonistic relationship against man. And so this idea of the chosen people evolved out of that concept, that only a handful of people were chosen by God and all others who are not blessed have to fend for themselves. So when these people who de-evolved lost their spirituality and cultivated a distorted relationship with the principles of creation began to encounter the African people who for over 200,000 years have been able to maintain this harmonious relationship and build on that, have been able to build the greatest, the longest documented civilization known to mankind. When these mutated Africans began to come back into Africa with a different mindset, with a different mentality, with a different spirit, and so it's about conquest. It's about discovery. It's about enslavement. It's about death and destruction. So within their religious systems, they justify slavery because the people that they enslaved are pagans who don't have a soul. They're heathens. So they justify killing them, raping them, selling them because they don't have a soul. That consciousness has never existed in the annals of, of human history until these other people began to step on the scene. So that's what we're battling right now. And I can say that one of the prime examples of this confused state of being is manifesting itself right now in the executive office of the White House. We see people who are so disconnected from humanity, who are sociopathic in their behavior, who are anti-life, and, and, and have this narrow-minded perspective that is all based on the acquisition of things, power. And they would do anything to hold on to that power, and they will use religion as a means of justifying their abuse of other people. This is what we're dealing with in real time. And the only way, brother, that, that this situation can be changed is to shift the consciousness of the masses of people. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. You know, one of the arguments I often hear about why our community should reject the 
religion of the oppressors is because of this oppression aspect. It was handed down through slavery, despite the fact that the original version was ours. But it seems that you're also suggesting that even deeper than that, because of the way that these concepts have been flipped around, it's given us a view of the world, a mindset of uh, toward the world and toward each other, toward nature that is different than what we originally practiced and what helped us build these great civilizations. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, let me just share this quote with you by uh, Henry Berry Esquire, a member of the Virginia House of, of Delegates, speaking to other politicians in January 1835. He said, and this is a direct quote, sir, speaking to other politicians in Virginia, other politicians who were enslavers and owned our ancestors. So he said to them, sir, we have so far as possible closed every avenue through which light may enter the slave's mind. If we could extinguish their capacity to see the light, then they would be on the level of the beasts of the field and our work would be complete and we would be safe. So if you just take that one statement and unpack it, in 1835, Christian European politicians and enslavers in the Commonwealth of Virginia said that they've done everything within their power to keep light, which is a metaphor for knowledge, from entering the minds of the enslaved Africans. They said if we could extinguish our ancestors' capacity to see the light, then we would function on the level of the beasts of the field and their work would be complete and they would be safe. So if we fast forward to 2020, we have to ask ourselves, is there a segment of the population of the United States of America who acts like the beasts of the field? who goes around and calling each other dog, what's up my dog, who calls their women female dogs, who calls their children little bow wow. There's no such thing as coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. And when you begin to unpack the historical reasons why we think, speak, and act the way that we do, you can come to a original cause. And once you look at that original cause, then you have to ask yourself, has that original cause helped me or hurt me. And if it's hurt you, if it's hurt your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, then you have an obligation and a responsibility to change that cause and define an original cause that will help you, that will help your children, your grandchildren, and all future generations. So that knowledge exists. So it means that in order to undo what Henry Berry and his colleagues set in motion, then we have to do what was forbidden for our ancestors to do. We have to read. We have to cultivate a love affair with reading, a love affair with books, a love affair with history. We have to read those books that our oppressors never wanted us to read so that we can discover who we were before our world was turned upside down. How we created the oldest and greatest civilization known to mankind, how we conceived of a relationship with God, all of that information is still accessible to any soul who is willing to invest his or her time in freeing your mind. So once you become aware of those things, then you now have the tools in order to make something out of nothing, cultivate a relationship with divinity, Cultivate a relationship with your ancestors, which will allow you to create anything that your heart desires. That is the process for how life operates here on planet Earth. 
Thank you, Brother Browder. So the big question that a lot of folks have is why should we even care about ancient Egypt? But from my understanding, a lot of the ideas culturally, specifically spiritually, did go to other places in Africa. Can you speak to some of the ways that that transpired and why it is relevant to us as Black folks in America? Excellent. And, and that's a very important question because one of the challenges that we as African people have is that we so believe in the belief system of our oppressor that we turn away from the means of our salvation. Within the Bible, we, when people think of Egypt, they think of old wicked Pharaoh. They think of, of, of Moses leading his people uh, out of Egypt and going into the promised land. Every theologian who is going to divinity school, every theologian who has studied comparative religions knows that the story of Moses is just that a story. It never happened. There was no exodus. It never occurred. So uh, what people fail to understand is that Moses is an Egyptian name. Uh, there were kings named Tutmosis. Moses is a comedic name that means saved from the waters. The story of Moses is a story that was crafted by outsiders in order to create a new religion, in order for these people to declare themselves as the chosen people and to show the world that they have a divine relationship with God. Now, in order to advance that belief, then what they had to do was to take down the most powerful nation on the planet and the most powerful creative spirit within that nation. And so that is the reason why this story was fabricated about Hebrews being enslaved in Egypt. That never happened. About Hebrews building the pyramids. That never happened because the pyramids at Giza were at least 200 years old before Abraham, the father of Jews, was born. So all you have to do is do the research. All you have to do is understand the chronology of history and place history in its proper context in order to understand how our world has been turned upside down. So it, there has been a concerted effort to separate African people from the source of their power, the Nile Valley. So by making Egypt the land of old wicked Pharaoh, by advancing this narrative about Jews being enslaved, and then Black people will compare our enslavement to that of the Jews. And so we'll sing the Jewish songs as opposed to understanding that that story never happened. It is a, it is a myth. It is a metaphor that represents concepts and ideas, but it never happened. It's not a historical event. What we then are faced with is in order to keep Africans spiritually bankrupt, and I, that's the only term I could use. In order to keep us spiritually bankrupt, we must remain separated from the Nile River Valley. As I mentioned, I've been doing tours, study tours to Egypt annually since 1987. I've taken dozens of ministers on my study tours, and I will show them the origins of concepts and ideas that are in the Bible that are thousands of years older than the Bible. And, and then I'll explain this information to them from a, a contemporary African context. And in one particular instance, about a decade or so ago, I'm sitting down at the dinner table with about six ministers. And I asked them, well, brothers, now that you've seen the comedic origins of Christianity, what do you plan to do with this information when you return back to Washington? dead silence. The only person who spoke was the youngest among that group of ministers. And he told me, Tony, if I talk about this on Sunday, I'll be looking for a job on Monday. I have to tell my parishioners what they want to hear. I would just encourage your listeners. 
to not be afraid. As Dick Gregory often said, fear and God can't occupy the same place. And so know if you love your grandma, if you love big mama, if you love your great grandma, if you love what they live for, what they fought for and what they died for, then take a minute and begin to do what they were not allowed to do. They were not allowed to read. They were not allowed to study. They were not allowed to have intelligent conversations about who their ancestors were thousands of years before the world was turned upside down. People are reading now more than ever before. So the climate is right. The time is right to begin to unpack the religions that were given to us by our oppressors and begin to find ways to maintain relationships with the creative spirit, to strengthen our relationship with our brothers and sisters, to prepare our children to live in a world where they will be able to maximize their potential as human beings. And that is the opportunity that has been given to us. And for those brothers and sisters who, whose eyes are open and who see the big picture and who are committed to the long haul, because the things that I'm talking about are things that are not going to happen in my lifetime, in your lifetime. It's going to take at least three generations to stabilize the consciousness of Black people so that we have a new foundation that we can build on for all eternity. That is what's happening right now. So we have an incredible opportunity, brother, to create a new world that we will ultimately come back and inherit, add to the value of that world so that we will continue to reap the benefits of having a positive understanding of who we are and our potential. And we can, once again, make this world a wonderful place to inhabit. So we have yet to experience what freedom is, but the opportunity to do so has always been at our fingertips. We just have to be willing to commit the time. And that's all it is, is time. Turn off the television, pick up a book, and do what your ancestors 100 years ago, 200 years ago, were not allowed to do. Read, study, have conversations about what you've read, write about what you've read, and pass that information on to the generations that will come behind you. That is the game that we're in right now. We've got to catch up. We've got a lot of catching up to do, but everything we need to do everything that we have to do is at our disposal. Beautiful. Brother Browder, this has been an amazing conversation. Once again, thank you for your time. Where can folks find you if they want to get more information from you? I can direct them to our website, which is ikg-info.com, ikg-info.com. You can find information on the work that we're doing, our publications, speaking engagements, study tours to Egypt. All of that is there on the website. All right, all right. So just like that, we're at the end of this episode of Black History Year. This podcast is produced by Push Black, the nation's largest nonprofit black media company. You know, at Push Black, we agree with Marcus Garvey when he said, a people without knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. I'm guessing you probably feel like that's important too. I mean, you're here at the end of a podcast about black history. You matter. Your choice to be here matters. It lets us know that you value the work. Push Black exists because we saw we had to take matters into our own hands. You make Push Black happen with your contributions at blackhistoryyear.com. 
Most people do about five or 10 bucks a month, but everything makes a difference. Thanks for supporting the work. The Black History Year production team includes Tariq Alani, Patrick Sanders, William Anderson, Jerea Bradley, Brooke Brown, Shonda Buchanan, Escadar Getahoon, Leslie Taylor Grover, Abney Jones, Aquia Tay, Darren Wallace, and our producer, Sydney Smith. For Limina House, our producers are Jessica Rue France and Sasha Kai Parker, who also edits the podcast. Black History Year's executive producers are Julian Walker for Push Black and Michael L. Sesser for Limina House. I'm Jay for Push Black. Thanks for checking us out. Peace.